0: You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania.
1: Hey, it's Chelsea. Hey, it's Grace. Hey, it's Sarah. Hey, it's Amanda, and today we are going to dive into the case of Tracy Ann Bird, and no, Grace, it is not the country singer, like you just asked. Um, Tracy was a 14-year-old. She was dropped off at school by her mother's boyfriend, Paul, on a rainy March morning in 1983. She attended Ben Salem High School in Bucks County. When she got there, she found her friends standing outside, and she had tried to convince them that it would be a good idea to skip school that day with her. See, Tracy was suspended from school and technically wasn't allowed to attend classes until the school met with her mother, which you would think would happen fairly quickly if your mother actually knew about it.
2: I just know, like, of course they do like in-school suspension now, but just suspending a student for doing something bad, it seems like... I don't like, you don't have to come to school. Seems yeah. like, counterproductive. Is that really a punishment?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and like, how does mom not know? Like, did the school not call? That was the 80s. So I'm just gonna. In the 80s,
0: probably not. I mean, they didn't have truancy laws the way that they do now. So even the fact that um, she wasn't in the school building wouldn't even necessarily get reported.
2: Have you ever seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off? No. (laughs) Oh, oh, never mind.
1: (laughs) Proceed. (laughs) You're horrible. Um, So all of her friends, of course, declined to skip school. So she went on her way, but to where? No one knows because no one has ever seen her again. So a little background on the family dynamics. Tracy's parents were divorced and she was living with her mother, Jean, and Jean's boyfriend, Paul. She had two brothers, Frank and Dale, but nothing states whether they lived with Jean and Paul or if they lived with other family. But as we continue, I do believe that Frank for sure did not live with them. So of course, the first thought was that she ran away, given that she had run away from home on a previous occasion after having an argument with her mom. However, the last time she ran away, she was only gone for one night. One of her friends told police that if Tracy ran away from her mom, she would have been at her back window that night or the next day, and she wasn't there, so it wouldn't be like her to just disappear. They all believe that something bad happened to her, including her family. At the time of her disappearance, a friend stepped forward to tell authorities that Tracy had told her that she was possibly pregnant. And Tracy had been dating two boys at the time and didn't know who the father would have been. Only one friend said this, um, but keep that theory in mind. She's 14?
0: Woof. That's a lot for a 14-year-old.
1: Yeah. Do we know anything about these boyfriends? No, I couldn't find anything about them. And I'm assuming given because of the age.
0: I was going to say, I'm wondering if they were also under 18 and that their information couldn't be. I ask because I feel like we've seen a lot of these different cases, especially in the 70s and 80s, where there's a teenager that's dating like a a guy in his 20s or and I say a guy cuz typically is a it is a young female with an older male but we've seen a couple of these cases um
1: it kind of makes me think of the case we had where they left that letter under the pillow i think that was your case grace yeah mm hmm if that was if it is an older person but like i said yeah. there's no real information and there was only one person that actually said that they believe that's what was going on mm So the town had missing person flyers everywhere. They had her described as a 14-year-old Caucasian female with strawberry blonde hair, blue eyes, weighed about 95 pounds, and was five feet tall. So she was kind of petite. Um, She had pierced ears and was wearing a t-shirt and jeans that day. Days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months, but there were still no leads on Tracy's whereabouts. Jean, Tracy's mom, appeared on several local TV stations pleading for her daughter's return home. She would never stop searching for her little girl. That was until it all came to an abrupt stop. Jean, Tracy's mom, was due to meet up with her friend Michelle for a little weekend fun, which I assume she probably needed a good break after everything going on. Yeah. She had just broken up with Paul about two weeks prior, and her daughter's case was getting colder by the minute. Michelle woke up that morning ready to meet up with Jean, and when she arrived at the location, Jean wasn't there. So she waited and waited, but Jean never showed up. Michelle immediately knew something was wrong. It's not like her to do that. So she reported her missing to the local police. Detectives were able to narrow it down that Jean had visited her 16-year-old son, Frank, which this is the one I assumed lived with her ex-husband. Frank had walked his mother to her car around four o'clock in the morning on October 7th in a parking lot at Brookside square apartments near park Avenue. And mind you, this is just seven months after her daughter disappeared. What are
0: they doing at four in the morning? (laughs) I was. I was wondering that too. I mean, yeah. we were pretty
3: young for that. I don't know. It sounds weird, and at the ex that early. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't. Four o'clock in the morning seems a little, a little crazy, especially to be in an ex's house. Maybe if that's where he was staying, or maybe when we get into it, maybe there is a, a reason that she was there. So, a detective on the case described the double disappearances as a, quote, wild circumstance and thought that it was highly unusual and was hoping that it was just a coincidence. What exactly happened? And was it really a coincidence? That seems like a reach. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So not too long later, on a cool October afternoon, two airmen from Dover Air Force Base were walking through Delaware's Blackbird State Park in southern Newcastle County, taking photographs of the foliage as they made their way through the dense section of brush they stumbled upon a body. The body was transported to the coroner's office where the autopsy was performed. The remains were that of a partially naked Caucasian female. She was very petite at only 4'10 and weighed 93 pounds. Okay, so this body was asphyxiated. Yes. The killer had wrapped 13 feet of black electrical tape tightly around the woman's head over 11 times, making sure to cover her mouth and to cut off her air supply. They were what? able to collect hair and fiber samples from the victim and the remains were identified as Jean Bird.
2: That's a lot of fucking electrical <laughs> tape. I mean, that's a lot. That's like around and around and around like Jesus. That seems
3: to me it seems personal to cover the face. That's true. And yeah. like to take that much time to cover the face. I mean, as Grace was saying, that that's gotta take a while. I mean, that's a heavy body to hold up and then wrap. I don't know. I, that's a lot of time.
2: And electrical tape isn't really like wide. No, so. and it's not no. like sticky. Like,
1: Wild, like it's not as yeah. sticky as like duct tape. Sure. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting oh. choice, but. So police delivered the news to the family. And of course, it sent shockwaves through their bodies because not only was their mother dead and their sister, daughter, Missing, but the location that she was found. Something about this specific location didn't sit well with them. It was a little too familiar. Dale Bird, Gene's other son, accompanied investigators to Blackbird Forest, which was about 75 miles away from Jean's home. He walked into the forest without any help from police. He pointed out a familiar location to him, a place he had been a few times, a campsite that he had once camped with. Paul, Jean's boyfriend. Hmm. Sketch. Which happened to be the exact location that her body was recovered. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, he sounds like an idiot
2: with all that electrical tape, so that makes <laughs> sense.
1: <laughs> I mean, Go back they're... to somewhere familiar. Yeah. But you would think, like, if they were going to find a body there, that the family would, if you took the kids there? Yeah. That they would kind of know that you were involved. Well, again, if
0: he's using electrical tape, he might not be that bright.
1: True. True. Or, I mean, I wouldn't,
0: I mean, depending how many times they went with him, he might not have expected them to even remember where it was. True. Like, which camps be Or if they're younger. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I feel like there's parts of my younger years that I remember very vividly, and then others I'm like, I have no idea.
0: Yeah. And I feel like
1: this might be something that you might remember because camping was, you know, not an everyday occurrence. Right. Maybe that's just me. So a little history on Paul and Jean. So Paul had met Jean in 78 and they moved in together pretty quickly. Friends and family described their relationship as, quote, stormy. Michelle told detectives that Jean had broken up with Paul about two weeks prior to her disappearance. And that Paul had begun stalking her and would watch her apartment, trailed her, and even made calls to her. It was so bad that Jean's son Frank even reported that he saw Paul's Ford LTD station wagon parked in the same parking lot that Jean was last seen in. Frank reported that Paul had questioned him about his mother seeing other men and said that. He had, quote, degraded her, claiming that she was into masochism and was using drugs and he wanted to get back at her.
2: I feel like there's a very long history of police not taking stalking seriously enough just because they're like, well, what do you want me to do? He didn't, like, hurt you. Like, you're going to wait until he hurts me? Oh, no,
3: no, no. It's... Just ju- just wait. Just wait. Oh, no. Grace, I don't know if you remember, but you remember when we worked at that uh, one place together? There was an older woman who was dating that one place. (laughs) Um, There's that older woman who had contacted police multiple times about that guy she was dating and he showed up overnight and like tried to break in while we were doing like overnight stuff. And she had been for months contacting the police and they wouldn't do anything.
2: Wow. You like recovered a memory in there.
1: (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of crime junkie episodes too, that talk about people like women that have reported it and nothing has happened. But yeah, in, it's called escalation. <laughs> in this case, though, um, it was already escalated. So, about two years after they met, Gene had broken up with Paul, and he was so upset over the breakup that he broke into her apartment. They got into a scuffle with a man inside. Then he kidnapped her at knife point. He told her, If I can't have you, no one else will. I'll kill you. He what then. The fuck? Wait, it gets worse. He then led police on a 12-mile chase into New Jersey, where he finally crashed the car into a tree. Paul was taken to the hospital for multiple injuries and charged with felony restraint, criminal trespassing, burglary, assault, and endangering another person in the abduction of Gene. So was Gene in the car with him at that time or no? Yes. Oh.
2: Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. He pled guilty to several charges after the kidnapping and was sentenced to five years of probation. Of what? course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. But unfortunately, like most domestic violence cases, Gene went back to Paul and they continue to have this rocky relationship. If I, if you remember, you, I said how Tracy was with him that day and dropped him off. Right. About two weeks prior to her disappearance, she had broken up with him again. So at the time that Tracy went missing, Paul was doing something nice and dropping off Tracy at school. Mm. This
2: makes a lot of sense, though, because, I mean, a lot of people will say, why didn't she just leave or why did she go back? I mean, it really highlights like how hard it is to get out of an abusive relationship and how the most dangerous time is right after you leave them.
3: I heard that it usually on average takes eight times to like leave somebody before it actually like sticks. And that's a lot of times. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But you would think, like, when it gets to this level? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't been in that situation, so I don't want to judge. I'm sure it's it's really you hard. You have to feel
3: that, like, she's probably all over the place. She's missing her daughter. She probably wants, like, someone to lean on or companionship. He's probably not a douchebag all the time.
2: Oh, yeah. He's probably super nice to her, like, after, especially after. I don't know, yeah. These kinds of incidents.
1: It's very hard. <laughs> yeah. So Paul was questioned, and he gave the alibi that he was with his sister that night, which she agreed. However, she quickly changed her story when the case progressed and the evidence started to build against him. It was almost three years to the day that Tracy went missing that Paul was arrested at a construction site where he was working as a roofer. Hence, the electrical tape. He was charged with first degree murder and the kidnapping of Gene Bird. On November 25th, 1984, he pled guilty for reduced charges. He was charged with only one count of manslaughter and was facing up to 30 years in prison. On the morning of his plea, the day before Paul was. On the morning of March 20th, 1986, a little over a year after his plea, and the day before he was due to be sentenced by the Newcastle Superior Court system, authorities received a phone call that no one was expecting. He was found dead in his prison cell. Oh, shit. Wow. And it doesn't say, like, natural suicide. I couldn't find anything that says what exactly happened. Hmm. So there's a few Jane Doe's out there that have been rolled out as being Tracy. One specifically sticks out, um, was a pregnant female found in old Publicer Industries building off of a state road in Ben Salem. The DNA was compared and it was rolled out. So the question remains, where is Tracy and is Jean's murder related? Many believe that she was definitely met with foul play since she didn't return no. home. And circling back to the second theory we talked about, how she told a friend that she may have been pregnant. Is it possible that she was sexually assaulted by Paul? And when he found out that she was pregnant, that he murdered her and hid her somewhere in the same forest. You know how murderers tend to go back and hide bodies in the same place? Right. Well, while thinking about it,
3: as you're talking, I didn't think I thought that he was involved, but not for maybe getting her pregnant, maybe because he wasn't getting as much time with the mom as he had wanted. It seemed like he was pretty like controlling and stuff. And I have heard of situations of like even them being jealous of like the other person's kid. That's what I was thinking.
1: So I didn't see anything that says if they searched the rest of the forest. I'm sure they did like around where they found Jean, but I don't know um, if they ever found anything else that may have been her it could be a huge forest too like
2: I mean think about when they were um looking in that reserve for Brian Laundry. I mean it just takes so yeah. long and especially if you're trying to do like a grid search
0: or something it would take forever well and her her parents didn't you know have her body and able to Place it and let someone else find it twenty four hours later.
1: Allegedly, mm. allegedly, allegedly Sorry, mm. we need the the
0: robot allegedly here again, Darren. I I do think that's interesting, and I think I've said this before, but um, my husband and I watch a show where they do water rescues, and they'll go over the same area five times and find something a sixth time that they didn't see before, and it'll be like a vehicle. So it's this huge metal thing in the water and they miss it five times and they find it a sixth. I mean, it's not like something just drifted a little bit. Um, but when you're checking those areas, if you miss an inch, you could be looking for or what you are looking for could be in that inch. You know what I mean?
3: I listened to a podcast uh, for the life of me. I can't remember the name of it, but it's about a missing boy up in Canada somewhere. and. um There's like tons of theories, but one of them is he like drowned in a lake near his family as they were fishing, which I feel like you probably would hear, but whatever. Um, And they had searched this and it wasn't even deep. And they have done so many dives there. And they actually tried to do one, I guess, when the water was frozen because there's not as much silt. And uh, they were able to find like a piece of clothing. And I know like when I was listening, they were getting it tested for like DNA, but it had been so long. But they had done so many searches there and it took them like 40 years just to find a sock. So, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of variables when it comes to water versus like, and forest because there's like a lot of natural coverage coverage, and things that can change versus like the That's Stephen true. Avery case where they found the key behind the nightstand. Right. Just my thought there. So the detective isn't giving up hope for the family that has endured so much tragedy. He wants to give them answers. Tracy's not forgotten. If anyone knows anything or has heard anything as little as it may be, or as unimportant as they think it may be, we still want to know the information. We want them to call us. At the time of her disappearance, she was 14 years old, which would make her about 53 now. She was Caucasian with strawberry blonde hair, blue eyes, weighed 95 pounds, and was about five feet tall. The Center of Missing and Exploited Children website, as well as ours, will have all the age progression photos. If you have any information about the disappearance of Tracy Byrd, you are encouraged to call the Ben Salem Police Department at 215-633-3660 or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-843-5678. Hey, it's Chelsea. Hey, it's Grace. Hey, it's Sarah. Hey, it's Amanda. And today we are going to talk about um, a case involving a veteran. Um, And since yesterday was Veterans Day, and it basically is a celebration to mark the end of World War I and to honor all U.S. veterans and victims of all wars, which is kind of what I want to do today. I want to highlight a man that served our country, and hopefully this will help bring a name to this John Doe. So it was a perfect day in Philadelphia to head to the movies, which is exactly what many did on January 7th, 1965. However, today wasn't like any other day. When the movie was over and everyone was leaving, a man was found sitting in the row that appeared to be sleeping. When they shook him to arouse him, he didn't move. At that point, they realized that he had passed away. Movie theater John Doe was described as a Caucasian male between the ages of 55 and 70 with gray hair and hazel eyes. He was five foot eight, weighed about 215 pounds, and had a deformity to his right shoulder. He had a tattoo on his right forearm of an army nurse in a uniform, like a cap and a scarf from World War I. He was wearing a gray hooded sweatshirt with a zipper front and green and white jersey t-shirt, black trousers, and white cotton socks. His trouser tag had in the right front pocket, they had like a little laundry tag that it was from. Millville, New Jersey, which is about 45 miles south of the Family Theater on Market Street in Philly, where he was found. It was determined that he passed away from natural causes. So according to the report, if the age range that they're thinking is right, he would have been born between 1895 and 1910. And since World War I was between 1914 and 1918, he would have had to be, I think, 18 to enlist. Is that still? It
0: might not have been 18.
1: I may have been, but it would have had to at least be a teen. So it would probably put him between the ages of 65 and 70. So I found some information about the tattoo on his arm. And there's actually been an updated picture that was just released in October for him that's a little more detailed from um, a place in Florida that we've seen a lot do that DNA isotope testing. So the tattoo is called a Rose of No Man's Land Tattoo, and the article that I read said that um, it's basically to signify that you were saved in the war by a nurse, and this originates from a once popular song written in honor of the Red Cross nurses who volunteered to serve on the front lines during World War II. Want. So it originates from a once popular song called "The Honor of the Red Cross Nurses," who volunteered to serve on the front lines during the First World War. These ladies laid their lives on the line to ease the suffering of wounded soldiers, and because of their sacrifice, they more than deserve the tattoo tributes of their image that exist only on people's skins today. Now, I know this isn't like our normal cases because this man wasn't murdered or missing. However, to date, he has not been identified. In recent years, his moniker has changed from movie theater Doe to veteran Doe to better describe who he was, a man that fulfilled his duty to our country with his selfless service. So let's bring closure to this veteran's family. Ask your friends, families, neighbors, anyone that you know that may have been enlisted. You can go to our website and share the link and help get his photograph out on all social media platforms.
3: So I have a question. Is it is there is a small possibility that he isn't a veteran, Correct. I mean, they're just going off a tattoo, right?
1: They're going off the tattoo, and I guess um, where he had his pants laundered might have been, I guess, a place frequented by military.
3: But when I think about that, sometimes I think about there's a lot of people, like, you can get stuff at, like, Goodwill or, you know, other stores that still have tags from being laundered that ended up getting donated, et cetera. Uh, That's what I'm thinking. I true. Mean, that's not true. that it happened, but I mean it's a possibility.
1: Yeah, definitely. I would I would think that it's more or less because he had the tattoo on and it had such significant meaning, especially since he had a deformity to his right shoulder, I think they said. Um yeah. which to me would indicate that he had some kind of injury and maybe needed a nurse, and that's why they didn't say that they had like bullet fragments or anything in his skin, but so if you have Any information about the identity of Veteran Doe, you can contact the Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office at 215-685-7445. That's all we have for this episode of Keystone Cold Cases Podcast. Please remember to never reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any information. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Amanda. Find all our sources, social media connections, and contact information KCCPOD.com. Theme music and production assistance by Darren Makins. Please join us next week for another case to sleuth out.